Hey everyone, Eric Rennie here and welcome to the 60th episode of The Writ Podcast. On Saturday, Pierre Poiliev won a big, emphatic victory in the Conservative leadership race, taking 68% of the points and 71% of the votes. Jean Charest, the former Quebec Premier, finished with just 16% of the points and 12% of the votes. Poiliev won 330 of 338 ridings. No one has ever won the leadership of the Conservative Party or its predecessors with more support than that. But his first few days as leader have been a little rocky after a testy exchange with the media and the news that Alain Reyes, a Quebec lieutenant for former leaders, decided to leave the party to sit as an independent. Meanwhile, the Liberal government made a big announcement this week related to inflation relief and dental care. So it's been a big week. Joining me to discuss it is the CBC's Aaron Wary, Shannon Proudfoot, reporter with The Globe and Mail, and Sapria Devetti, Director of Policy and Engagement at the Centre for Media, Technology and Democracy, and Senior Counsel for Enterprise Canada. Good morning, all of you. Morning. Good morning. So it is Hello. Thursday morning. It, it's been a... You know, it's been a quickly developing story, so uh, who knows what happens uh, the rest of today, people who are listening. But it's been, uh, you know, a, a, a interesting few days. So Poliev wins the conservative leadership in a big, big way, a big number that I don't think a lot of people were expecting, particularly just to smash his rival so much. It's been a few days now, so I don't know if we need to still go over the uh, actual results. I'd instead like to talk about the first few days of his leadership. So he comes out with... Uh, his new leadership team. Uh, he has Alain Reyes, who is a pretty well-known Quebec conservative MP who decides to step aside and leave the caucus over uh, charges that uh, Poliev's politics are you know, toxic and not, he wants a more respectful kind of politics. So he leaves caucus. Then we get news that there are text messages that are sent to members within his riding, uh, more or less inviting them to flood his phone lines and tell him that they're upset that he left the caucus. The Conservative Party late on Wednesday night then apologized for that, which is something that uh, I, I'm not sure that a lot of us were expecting. So it's been a, a, a weird few days. Um, Aaron, I'll start with you. How do you think it's going for Pierre Poliev in his first few days as leader? Uh, I think it was going actually quite well uh, up until he showed up for a news conference or I guess a, a, to deliver remarks. Uh, uh, with the the sort of caveat that he wasn't going to take any questions, uh, because that led to David Aiken, our colleague from Global, uh, yelling questions at him, and I think that is when uh, Polyev started to sort of lose the the thread he'd started to try to to lay down at the, you know after winning the leadership. You know, he wins the leadership and he gives this speech and he doesn't talk about the World Economic Forum, he doesn't talk about Bitcoin. You know, he sands off a lot of the edges that he'd shown during the leadership campaign. And if you had never seen Polyev before that speech, you're probably thinking, well, this guy isn't, you know, the extreme combative partisan that, that, that I've heard about. Uh, and then he starts getting heckled or yelled at by, by David Aiken, and he calls him a liberal heckler. Uh, and I thought that was kind of when the mask slipped a bit. And, you know, then Reyes quits and suddenly the party's sending out text messages calling on him to resign. And in the same, you know, when he does take questions, he attacks Reyes. And, and I, 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 I think he, you know, this kind of exemplifies the challenge Polly is going to have if he, he plans on either, you know, having sort of dueling personas or sending different messages uh, to different audiences. Uh, or if he's planning on 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 trying to kind of 
leave the edginess behind uh, because his reflex and the reflex of the people around him is to be combative and to call journalists liberal hecklers and to then, you know, fundraise off of those those conflicts. And uh, so I think that, that that this week kind of laid bare the, the sort of central challenge he has as he tries to uh, appeal beyond the Conservative Party uh, and trying to figure out what his persona is going to be. Those of us who either still are or used to be in the gallery, I don't think we would say that David Aiken is uh, a liberal. So it was a little bit of a an odd thing to hear. Um, so Priya, you know, the first few days after his victory, it was all about how much he had won. He had done so well. Uh, this looks like it's going to be, you know, a really tough opponent, really good on the message discipline. I don't know. Do you feel like that is still the narrative right now? No, I don't think so. And just to touch on, you know, Aaron's point, like I, I made this sort of similar point on my own podcast seriously yesterday where it was like he had these great first couple of days, right? Um, his acceptance speech was amazing to have a, a politician, particularly a conservative politician, talk about housing in a way where, you know, he's acknowledging how hard it is for younger folks, how we need to incentivize um, more housing around transit stations in particular, so that younger folks won't then need to also, you know, pour money into a car uh, to get from point A to point B, I thought was particularly refreshing. You know, he goes to introduce himself to his caucus. He has his adorable baby and, and very, you know, uh, attractive, beautiful family by, by his side. Um, he gives somewhat, um, you know, a uniting speech. He shows some humility. And then to Aaron's point, uh, loses his composure um, under Aiken, you know, questioning him. And I will also say I used to work with uh, David when I was at Global. Um, he's not by any stretch a, a liberal plant or a liberal heckler. Um, so I think it's particularly uh, funny um, to paint Aiken that way, especially because I don't think the Pierre Polyev camp actually thinks that he's a liberal heckler. He, they just said that because they could then, you know, very easily turn that around into a fundraising appeal. And so I think this is less about, you know, message discipline and more about, well, what do they actually want the message to be? And I think we may just need to accept that they may want the message to be that the media is not... Um, you know, impartial and that the media is in fact part of the enemy. And that's what we're seeing, at least from the rhetoric from Andrew Scheer. And it's been the rhetoric from the conservative, from certain factions of the conservative party anyway, for quite some time. And now it's just what the leader is doing. So he seems to be representing, um, you know, the most vociferous part of uh, the conservative base. Shannon, the, this, uh, that approach, you know, it obviously works in a leadership race uh, among conservatives. It works in Fundraising, which, you know, as, as was mentioned, an email was sent out right away uh, saying that Aiken was more or less the media and the way that he uh, uh, approached uh, that, that, uh, that scrum is how the media is going to approach Poilievre in the future. Uh, but is that kind of relationship sustainable for the next two, three years until the next election? Because eventually, you know, these kinds of things start to filter out to everybody and they see that kind of that kind of tone, that kind of rhetoric, it's not just the speeches. You do get also just this feeling about a guy in terms of how he's acting. It feels like he can't keep this up for two or three years. Yeah, I mean, at the risk of sounding like the sports writer I used to be, like complaining about the refs is sort of like the last preserve of someone who's not winning the game, right? And there was no need for him to turn to this kind of petulant um 
I think sort of instinctive reaction. Like it's like when a doctor hits your knee with a hammer and your, your leg goes up, like that is to me, the impulse uh, Pierre Polyev was showing here. Like to Supriya's point, if they're thinking about, you know, message discipline or, or what is sort of their core message, I don't even think that's what he was doing. I think he just reacted out of gut. Um, he has a long, long, long history um, going back to the very beginning of his federal political career of reacting very strongly to anyone who's against his team. Uh, he goes for the jugular, like a lot of his missteps earlier in his career, um, I think, in my opinion, turned on that kind of instinct that if you are against, uh, you know, the Harper conservatives in the early days, if you are a member of the Trudeau liberals, you are in the enemy camp and I will do anything to hack you off at the knees. And that's that's the instinct I saw on display there. Um, I mean, I understand the principal point David Aiken um, thought he was making or was trying to make. I personally don't think it was a great choice because it's now made the media one of the main characters for this week, which is just, we don't need to do that. We don't, we don't need to, to manufacture a ready-made attack ad about the liberal media. But by the same token, which party in this you know, dispute, if you will, has has more to lose. I don't know if the public cares that much about, you know, oh, poo-poo, liberal media. If that's an opinion you already hold, you're probably not going to be dissuaded from it. But if you're Pierre Polyev, the newly crowned conservative leader who came in with just a massive wave of support and did put on a really good showing on Saturday night, I thought he did quite a good job of threading the needle of sounding more magnanimous, more mature, more appealing, presumably to swing voters without sounding inauthentic to who he's been. And then you deflate that balloon by indulging that instinct to kind of like poke at someone with something as sort of, you know, hacky and cheesy as liberal media. Um, I, I think he's going to have to, or someone on his team is going to have to train him out of those sort of combative instincts. Just tamp it down. Like you don't have to answer every heckle with a return heckle. Like just let it go. Look a little statesmanlike. I know that's a very overworked word, but it's useful in this case. Uh, I'm reminded a little bit. I know it's not the exact, it's not even anywhere close to the same situation, but when Jagmeet Singh was uh, heckled by uh, someone saying racist things on multiple occasions, uh, you know, he handled himself pretty well. Uh, Polyev did not really handle himself all that well. If you watch the clip, he did seem very flustered, very kind of frustrated about it, understandably. Uh, but that knee-jerk reaction that he had in terms of just going after uh, Aiken rather than just kind of trying to be the bigger person in the situation. Rise above. Rise, rising above, exactly. Like, you know, when you think about some of the other uh, times and he's had some issues over the, over the campaign, the leadership campaign, when he was challenged during the debates... He often had a little bit of trouble dealing with that. Uh, and there was a time when he was getting um, a question about uh, real estate uh, things with him and his wife and also didn't seem very comfortable there. But Aaron, when we are talking about this, are we just pearl clutching? No one's going to care. It's actually going to help him out, uh, rile up the base, and everybody else is just not going to care about this whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sort of torn. I, like, it, I do think that there probably is... Um sort of a basic uh, median voter sort of impulse to not like conflict and not like the idea of, of politicians who sort of initiate conflict or cause conflict. Uh, and so the, the, it's possible that Polyev uh, suffers for that. Uh, at the same time, I don't know if he just needs to win you know, 35%, 40% of the vote, uh, maybe there are enough people who are uh, either uh, agree with him or are willing to sort of look past that combativeness with the media. 
but I think, as you said, I, like I, to me, the display on the display during that news conference or whatever we want to call it, he looked, uh, as you say, I think he looked rattled. And I think that there's a downside to the way they have insulated him from the media and from uh, sort of open forums is that he's not ready for those moments. Uh, he looked brittle. He looked uh, like he couldn't handle pushback. And uh, I think, you know, I, I, we don't, I don't want to play strategist, but if I was, I think, around his team, I'd be wondering about how he's going to hold up over the conflicts that are going to come from either news conferences or in the House or in, in leadership debates. Uh, because as much as uh, Polyev has talked about as a very talented politician and a, and a talented sort of pugilist uh, in the political sense, uh, I, I don't know that we know that he can handle sort of tough questions and being hounded by the media and, uh, and, and, uh, and being attacked by other uh, by other politicians. And the evidence from this week suggests that maybe he's not quite the political savant that he seems to be in most cases, because, you know, uh, having questions shouted at you and, and not, and the only thing you can kind of say in response is, you know, oh, it's a liberal heckler while you're looking sort of nervous and rattled doesn't suggest that he's completely comfortable up there. And, and I wonder at what point that becomes a problem for him. Sapria, Aaron just mentioned, uh, you know, what the team would think about. Um, if you if you were in that team and, you know, trying to understand what their perspective is, do you think they're looking at these first couple of days as it didn't go well? Or are they thinking, yep, going according to plan, got the people that we want against us lined up against us. And, uh, you know, we've just raised a lot of money. Do you think do you think that yeah. they are thinking that this went badly? I no, I don't think they think this went badly. I think this is part of the plan. I, I don't like, and so I, I, well, I agree with Aaron that he did look kind of rattled, right? And I, quite frankly, I think he looks weak in being unable to answer questions or being unable to, as Shannon put it, like rise above, right? Um, but I'm not who they're trying to appeal to. Um, and I think the folks that they're trying to appeal to uh, it are people that want a fighter. They want somebody who's going to stand there with a mug that says leftist tears and taking sips off of it. They want somebody to dunk on the libs at, at any sort of point. Like Pierre Polyev and this party now represent the, you know, very online modern conservative movement, which is very much in your face. It is very combative and it is very much like fuck your feelings um, sort of thing. And that is, I think, where we're going and where we're headed. And we're going to see probably a lot more of the, you know, um, attacking of whether it's individual reporters or the media more generally. I think that's going to become a pretty stable feature in the discourse for the next uh, couple of years, whenever the next election is. Uh, what about let's move on from from that to what happened with uh, Reyes and the text messages and the party apologizing to, uh, from it. Shannon, um it, it, I don't know what to make of that. Like it, it, it was obviously it wasn't as if this was going to get Reyes to resign. It was just it, the only purpose this could have had was to try to flood his voicemails and more or less make things really bad for him on a personal level. It, it just, and it seems like the party agreed since they apologized for it. I, I don't know what that does. If you listen to um, the interview when Reyes was on Midi Info on, on Radio-Canada, he was followed right after by the new Quebec lieutenant, uh, Pierre-Paul Huss. He seemed uncomfortable about it because 
it, this was him hearing about it for the first time, and even he was a little bit. It sounded off-putting. So off-put. So uh, it, it, that feels like that might have been a, a misstep within the party. That some people might have been pretty upset about that. Yeah, and I, I don't completely understand their sort of vague non-pology about it. Like, people have been joking, like, did their robo-dialing software become, like, self-aware and just freelance this? <laughs> I'd also I'd also like to say sort of glibly, but also sort of not. Like, maybe program your software so that if it's going to, like, auto-send a text to someone whose name matches the name of the candidate or the former MP that you're trying to kneecap, maybe you just like X that one out of the program and don't send it because there was just something ridiculous about the optics of, of that text message. Right, His, that his wife received. got it too. Uh, yeah, addressed to him, telling him to call himself and yell at him. Um, it, it's also, I, I think maybe the most damaging part of that, but again, it's worth asking the question, who are they speaking to? Who's going to like it? Who's not? is that it sounds like the Pierre Polyev and company of the leadership race, as opposed to the more magnanimous, mature version of him once he sort of had the crown on his head on Saturday night. There was very much that feeling of all through the last six months, you know, you're with us or against us. Um, there was a really vindictive streak, just kind of a take no prisoners. And that's why so many of the questions um, surrounding the kind of tone and the messaging after he won the leadership was about unity because they had spent the last six months being really quite vicious toward other conservatives who were running against him. And that text message campaign to me sounded very much like that. Like it was very much that tone. Um, I mean, the point is someone pressed go on that. Like the, the system didn't send that itself. Someone had made a judgment call that that was a thing to do. And to your point, Eric, it accomplishes nothing, but it's sort of like, it feels a bit like a meeting out of mob justice, right? Like it's just letting, it's putting someone on notice that if you speak up, you're going to hear about it. Um, it's, it's just, it's not, I mean, I know it's an overworked phrase, but it's not, it's not a good look to me. Like they, they really, if you're Pierre Polyev right now in this moment, when there's so much that's salient in kind of people's real lives and a policy space that is your bread and butter, economic issues, inflation, you have a chance to really have something to say as opposed to just kind of flipping the bird at everyone. And, and I mean, I'm not a political strategist. I never have been. I hope never to be. But I think you want to really stay in that lane. Like there is a profitable, useful, productive space for you right now. So why would you get distracted with like mean girls antics? It almost had an element of doxing in a way, you know, yeah. flood this guy's voicemail, uh, you know, let's, there is no other purpose for it, it seems. And like the idea that it is, I know when they said automated, they probably meant that it was sent to everybody or within the thing rather than sure. someone created it because it quoted Pierre Polyev's attack on Alain Reyes about not wanting to fight inflation. So clearly someone was listening to something and, and knew what words to put into that. Uh, but yeah, Aaron, it just, uh, you know, it's not just us being, whoa, this is really bad. The party itself apologized, which is not something you see very often. Uh, so clearly they feel like they overstepped. Yeah, I like <clears throat> to me, the only explanation. Well, I guess there's two possible explanations. One is that that's just how they do business, that uh, you're either a friend or a foe. And as soon as Alan, uh, Alan Reyes uh, declared himself to be a foe, they, you know, nuked him. Because uh, that's just sort of how they operate. Uh, the other thing I, th I suspect is that it's a, an internal caucus management thing. It's a, if you're thinking of leaving, if you're thinking of crossing us, uh, rest assured we will come after you. Uh, sort of similar to what Shannon said. Uh, I, I, I think that's probably what they were aiming to do. 
But I suspect that, yeah, that, that the feedback from within the party was bad. Uh, and uh, it wouldn't shock me if that was if it was particularly bad amongst Quebec MPs for the Conservative caucus. And uh, I suspect Polyev is conscious of the fact that that's one of his potential weak points in caucus is is the Quebec uh, is the Quebec MPs. And uh so if if they're apologizing i suspect it's because they detect there's real there were real there was real pushback to what they did and and if they want to kind of keep everybody on board they need to apologize for it and walk it back a bit uh that said i you know i suspect it still holds that if you're the next mp who's thinking of jumping ship uh you know they may not send a text message but they'll find a different sledgehammer to come down on you with uh let's uh, move on aaron i'll stick with you um so the Liberals came out this week with uh, inflation measures, uh, you know, uh, more support for lower income people, uh, dental care, again, for people um, who, you know, have difficulty paying for dental care. Um, they were planning to come out with this before the leadership race, uh, but then the death of the Queen, you know, co-opted that or got that out of the way. So they put it out this week. And, you know, Poliev did talk a lot about inflation and in his statement that he tried to make uh, when he came out. In the in the foyer was about how you know he's been talking about inflation for all this time, and now the uh, prime minister is finally getting to it. Uh, Aaron, do you think that this was the government's attempt to get into the conversation because they had been criticized that they hadn't had much to say about inflation up to now? Yeah, I yeah, uh, I, which I think is true. I mean, I I I think this would have had more impact if they'd done it four months ago, say. Um, you know, there may be real policy considerations for not having done something like this earlier, right? You don't want to uh, do anything that would potentially make inflation worse if you don't have to. So maybe you ride it out for a few months and see whether you absolutely have to take this step before you take it. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, you know, people have been people have gotten very frustrated about inflation and uh, Trudeau's approval rating is down and uh, Polyev has, has essentially beaten them to the rhetorical punch on this fight. And uh, so they're kind of playing catch up at this point. And so there's not only, you know, so there's not only a debate now about whether what they're doing is, is enough. Uh, there's also a debate about uh, whether they should have done it sooner. And so they're a bit on their back foot at, at this point. Now, they, they've also started to now that they have a conservative leader to fight with, they've started to uh, push back against the idea, against some of his ideas and some of his proposals. But uh, they're fighting from behind at this point, and uh, they're going to have to uh, just to continue this boxing analogy to an absurd degree. They're going to have to they're going to have to fight themselves out of the corner at this point. They have to uh, they have to you know both policy and rhetorically uh, wise they have to figure out how to get this. Uh, discussion back on their own terms, because up till now, they've been sort of pounded on it. Sapria, do you think this was enough to get them going? Or are they still they're still on the back foot? I mean, I don't know, in terms, I, I guess maybe a little bit on the back foot only because um, the conservatives seem to be very good at pushing the inflation message when they're not at least talking about opting out of inflation by putting all of your savings into, you know, crypto or, or Bitcoin or whatever the exact quote was. So um, in that respect, yeah, I guess. But look, I, I think we also have to acknowledge the fact that governments don't really control monetary policy, right? Like they, they don't, they control their own fiscal policy. 
Um, so they can do things that can, you know, uh, tamp down on inflation, which is the government spending less. So less money into support, less money on infrastructure, uh, fewer public sector employees, raising taxes, um, cutting public sector salaries, whatever it is. But that's what it comes down to. I, I know that at least one bank has come out. I think it's Scotiabank um, that has very much criticized um, these measures. Uh, basically saying that it's going to make the, the problem worse. And uh, I would imagine that the re- retort to that um, from the liberal side of things is just simply that they're targeted in a way that it's not actually pouring gasoline on the fire. On the fire. It's giving folks um, targeted relief um, when they need it. But, you know, I don't think inflation is going to magically disappear overnight. We're going to be dealing with these effects for, for quite some time. And Canada is not the only country dealing with them because a lot of a lot of these issues are um, intertwined with uh, with global factors, um, you know, uh, climate change, constraining supply chains, etc. So um, we're going to have to be uh, find a way to talk about this issue um, in a way where we're, you know, not propagating falsehoods um, constantly uh, in a way to just score partisan points. And I, I don't think we know how to do that as a country. Well, a lot of the measures, you know, the government injecting money and giving people money to do things is obviously the kind of thing that can make inflation worse. But some of the other solutions, you know, from the conservatives, tax cuts, get rid of carbon tax, things like that, also injects more money that people can spend into the system, which also has the same problem with inflation. So it does seem like, Shannon, we're talking more about politics than policy here, right? So on that score, when it's if we're just talking about politics, uh, who won this week in terms of this inflation discussion? Well, it strikes me like we're all talking about the same thing, which is that one of the best things the Liberal government in particular could do right now is just talk to us. If there's a reason you didn't do anything about this four months ago because there were solid policy reasons, you could explain that. We're all grown-ups. We'd probably listen. If there's a reason that you designed these in this particular way, uh, then also talk to us about that. Like To me, that is their biggest problem right now, is that you ask them a pragmatic question and you get back a values answer. Why did you do X or Y? Why didn't you do X or Y three months ago? Well, it is very important to us to support the blotty blot. Like that's Middle not class an jobs. answer. A hundred percent. Like it's not like, don't read me a bumper sticker and tell me it's an answer to a question. And I don't mean me personally, like if there are, and that's also, if we're going to be a little bit more mercenary and kind of politicking about it, that's also sort of a high ground they could assume for themselves. Well, listen, we're the governing party right now. We are privy to some complexities. We have our hands on some levers that, you know, this guy over here, the leader of the opposition, does not because we are actually in charge right now. So here is how we're thinking about this. Like, I, I truly, I don't mean to be naive. I know that my kind, our kind, we always want more answers, more disclosure. But I have a hard time seeing a lot of downside to that. If they would just articulate what they're doing, walk through their thinking, you can then, you know, critique that or interrogate it. But you could already see this week, I thought Polyev was having a very hard time finding solid ground. And maybe it was just that he was a bit off his game in general to critique the liberals um, measures because he was he he was sort of saying on one hand it's a drop in the bucket it won't do anything he sort of walked out the math as he really likes to do which was sensible enough talking about uh the rent benefit the 500 dollars kind of top up to to rent benefit and then saying that would be less than a day's rent in a city like toronto fair enough so his argument there is it's a drop in the bucket it won't help people but then in the very next breath but it's going to be a bellows on the fire of inflation like you're gonna have to pick one here is it going to make things worse 
or is it ineffective? And I think there's probably room for intelligent argument in different ways there. But if you're the liberal government, I think your best kind of um, rebuttal to that is to just talk through your thinking. Um, I would really enjoy that. I would really enjoy grown up conversations and real answers that we could then actually debate as opposed to filling in the blanks. Aaron, do we know how to talk about this? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I might dispute Shannon's argument that we're all grown ups here, but. Um, <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Uh, you know, look, I think both Sapria and Shannon are right. I, like, I, I do think there is lots of logic and ration, rational discussion to be had here um, about what governments can and cannot do and what's causing inflation and what will and will not solve it. Um, I, I think the problem is that the liberal answer for the last you know, several months has been, well, we're doing childcare. So that'll, you know, we're saving people money. So like it was, it was so kind of divorced from what was going on. And even, you know, even the prime minister's speech to caucus where he had a line about, you know, you know, there was something like, we have to be honest with, you know, we have to be, you know, we have to face up that lots of people are going through a tough time. And I like, to me, I think that's the first time I've heard him say that in the last six months and it just they just didn't seem to have a message and they didn't even seem to be kind of trying to find an argument on inflation they would say it was a global problem they would say that they were doing childcare, but they didn't really have an argument about inflation and you know i so there's just sort of sort of now coming around to it and it helps that polyev is there as a counterpoint because they can say well investing in bitcoin isn't going to solve the problem and uh, you know, and, and cutting the deficit is, is going to have, or, you know, or, or, you know, his complaints about the, the spending we did during the pandemic ha is problematic for X, Y, and Z. So they, they, it helps to have a counterpoint now for them. But again, I just think they, they, they could have had an adult discussion or tried to have an adult discussion and they kind of skipped that step and they're sort of just now getting to it. Sapria, what do you think, uh, you know, the NDP, uh, quickly to claim credit for it? Um, first of all, is there enough here that they want to claim credit for it? But also, what do you, what do you make of just the NDP trying to elbow itself into the conversation here? Good for them, you know? Weeds your way into the conversation however you can, box them out, get a good drop step in and, you know, go, go to the hoop. I mean, look, I, I, I think this was expected in terms of um, so much sports yeah, sorry sorry yeah um just in terms of like them i think it was expected that they were going to try and and take credit for it and and maybe they do deserve a lot of credit for it who knows but you know to the point that um shannon was making with respect to pierre polyev saying that it wasn't really going to help a whole ton particularly when it came to that rent top up i mean that's that's quite true if you're in a city not just like toronto but in a lot of cities right um, across the country, 500 bucks uh, as a one-time top-up isn't a whole significant ton of relief for you. Um, so it, it's interesting that the NDP would, would want its name on that, but you know they've got to inject themselves into it a little bit because they have been sitting on the sidelines, and I'm sure that there's at least some questions within um, NDP you know higher ups about what 2025 actually does. I'm saying 2025, but whenever the next federal election is what that actually, you know, ends up looking like, and if Jagmeet is the guy to lead them um, into that, uh, right? So, like, he's got to do what he's got to do right now, and that I think from a, just a, a pure, like, news cycle perspective, that is to say that, yeah, yeah, we did that. That's on us. 
Uh, we heard uh, during the Conservative leadership uh, event, you know, that the agreement between the Liberals and the NDP was called an unholy alliance. That uh, you know, it's it's Jagmeet Singh that's actually running this government. Shannon, uh, is this? Are we seeing this the tyr- tyranny of the of the uh, New Democrats in this in these uh, in these new policies by the government? Um, well, I mean, we, we have seen like several of those pieces are from the NDP platform in, in one way or another. So it's it's fair enough for them to point to it and say some of it's our idea. I don't feel like they've been a very effective part of this whole conversation, considering that the whole issue of, you know, inflation, ordinary people being able to afford their lives, the issues of inequality that were really highlighted quite viscerally out of the pandemic that should be sort of their natural home. Um, I, I just personally don't feel like they've been an effective enough part of the public conversation in in something that should be in their natural wheelhouse. And now, you know, how you had Jagmeet Singh saying yesterday that, uh, you know, it's sort of a tentative yes, they're going to continue to work with the Liberals. And there's this kind of or else to his statement, but I, I'm not sure I see the teeth to it, or or at least he hasn't seen fit to say it. So there's a feeling of like, you don't want to be the NDP in this arrangement and look like you're strapped into the sidecar of someone's motorcycle, right? Because then you're not going to get any credit for the good things that are accomplished, and you're not going to be taken seriously as the party that's holding their feet to the fire. Um, and I just think they might be at, at risk for, for being sort of ineffectual sidekicks here. Um, I, I don't know if that's unfair. I'm, I'm willing to consider that it might be. But um, I just, I feel like the NDP, and particularly Jagmeet Singh's messaging, what he's been talking about and literally the lines he's been saying have been so thoroughly unchanged for, I think, going back to the 2019 election. And that's a problem if we're in a different moment, um, because it really is a moment that they should be able to speak to. I mean, maybe we're taking aim too too strongly at them I and mean, we're sort of trying to even out our attention to the different parties. But um, I think the inflation issue is a real it's sort of liability for the liberals more rhetorically, I think, than policy-wise, because as we've all flicked at, there are lots of complicated reasons why inflation is happening. And, you know, if, if you're talented at um, explaining things, you could, you could kind of unpack those in a way that you hope the public will digest. But because this government has already been in power for seven years and they have a sort of institutional character of often looking out of touch on other issues, to be fair, like very separate issues... But I think that can easily shade into a feeling from ordinary Canadians of they don't get me. There's this sort of elitism gloss to them. Uh, Polyev obviously is happy to get out the paintbrush and thicken that that gloss. Um, but I think, and when I think it was Aaron was mentioning um, Justin Trudeau talking about people feeling, you know, feeling in pain and and feeling stressed, and they should realize that expressing empathy is not the same thing as expressing responsibility. Like to empathize with how people feel is not to say that you're culpable for it. I'm guessing that's sort of a red button of worry for an incumbent government when the economy's not going well. Um, you can empathize with people without, I think, wearing that. Anyway. No, that's an interesting point this, uh, because it's true. If, if you're in the government, if you're admitting that things are bad, well, you've been the one running the ship for the last little while, so it must be your fault, right? So it, it is a delicate kind of thing to do, to both kind of take responsibility, but also take accountability for it and be like, we're going to help solve this and all that. So it, it feels like, and we'll finish on this and we'll go around the uh, the group, but it feels like this is going to be uh, an interesting fall for politics, right? Because all of the parties are trying to figure out how to talk about inflation, how to deal with this issue. You have the Liberals who are now 
going to, one assumes, figure out how they're going to deal with Pierre Polyev. You have the NDP trying to get into the conversation, pretending that they are willing to take the government down, which I don't think anybody really believes that they're anywhere close to doing. And then you have Polyev and the kind of unpredictability of like this week went really strangely this was a weird week for Pierre Polyev and it's week one like we're talking about the rest of the fall how that's going to go Aaron I'm not sure if like what like what what can we say how is this how are the next few months going to go uh I think interesting is the right word uh like I I think you know I, I think in Polyev and Trudeau you've got two uh very talented in different ways, politicians, uh, and two more uh, engaging and sort of entertaining characters than you've had recently in Canadian politics. And uh, you've got a real clash of visions at this point uh, in how things should go. And that clash of visions is going to be had over some pretty difficult issues. And uh, that should make for uh, an interesting debate. Um, I think, you know, there's sort of the the two main characters in this are dealing with pretty different challenges. One is, you know, Polyev trying to figure out, you know, who he should be and how he should be and how that's going to be handled by the public. And then I think you've got Trudeau, who I think at this point kind of needs to justify his continued leadership. Uh, He's obviously or seems to have decided he wants to face another election. I don't I, I wouldn't say that's guaranteed that he's going to face another election because I think at this point with his numbers where they are, he needs to kind of show some signs of life and uh, that he's ready to take on, on Polyev and can do it. And uh, so the characters and the policy issues and the politics are all kind of colliding at this point. And I think, you know, this fall is kind of the first uh, chapter of, of what could be a pretty uh, a, a pretty dynamic next few years, I guess. Yeah, next few years. So, Priya, like, if this survives until 2025, like, I'm already exhausted to think about how this is going to be for the next three years. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be good. Um, I, I like Interesting is one way to put it. I would just say bad. It's going to be bad. Um, we're going to see increasingly... Um, vitriolic rhetoric. We're going to see an increasing willingness to put to push demonstrably false information into the main public uh, debate on on key issues. We're going to see um, a lot of you know blaming and finger pointing, and I don't think folks will be getting uh, the kind of you know response that. <laughs> A responsible government and opposition should be delivering for people at this time and I think we have a coordinated sort of a few proxy outlets for the conservatives right now that tend to work in tandem with pushing out a lot of their messaging and gaming algorithms so that uh, certain information appears on people's feeds and then they get further interact with those and get further, you know, into a, a sort of algorithmic sort of rabbit hole. And I think all of it is bad. Um, and I hate to be such a cheery, you know, person on a, on a Thursday morning, but I just, I don't see this going any other way unless there's an actual willingness 
um, to do things differently. And, and I, I don't think there is a willingness to do things differently. And I, I think this isn't a bug. This is very much a feature of the where our politics are right now. Shannon, are you able to end us on a higher note or are you feeling are you feeling as pessimistic as reasonably pessimistic, I would say, as as Sapria does? Well, strangely, I sort of agree with both Sapria and Aaron. Um, I was saying on a panel last night, I kind of like the moment we're at. It's felt to me like we've been sort of stuck in purgatory for months and months and months, maybe even since last year's election. The liberals have felt like they were sleepwalking. Um, The Tories have been engaged in infighting. And now all of that has sort of settled. You know, we seem to be out of the pandemic moment for good in some way, knock on my desk here. Um, And the Tories have picked their leader. And so it's sort of like the table is set. This is the team you're going to battle with. Um, Both Trudeau and Polyev and their parties are presenting their opponents as like an existential threat to the country. And you kind of have these two very talented politicians also at bookends of their career. Um, it's, it's easy to forget how long Trudeau has been around and that he's the old man in the room now because he just sort of presents as eternally sort of youthful. But his image has tarnished considerably and that of his party, but people are sort of wondering if he still has his fastball. Uh, Polyev has been incredibly talented, but, you know, problematic, combative, all the way through his career and now he's in charge of this party that he sort of remade in his own image um and i kind of like the clarity of that i mean it's going to be probably pretty ruthless pretty brutal but um because we have real problems to solve in this country i kind of like the fact that like these guys are there like what do you got for us like if we're your public um what do you have on offer to solve these hideous problems stop telling us it's the other guy's fault like let's do this um i just think like no more messing around no more moving the food around on our plates like let's see uh, however long it lasts until the next election, I, I, I you kind of hope this energizes everyone. Um, but to Sapria's point, whether that's in a productive direction or a dysfunctional one, like anyone's guess, but at least like we're good to go. That's now. oddly optimistic about how bad everything is going to be. But, uh, you know, that's good. I, yes. I think I'm more on Sapria's side. I, I Maybe I'd watch this on HBO, but I'm not sure I want to live it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's... Uh, so anyway, so that's great. So thanks, everybody, for um, giving your thoughts. Uh, and you, we can take the optimistic, the pessimistic side. I'm not sure which way the world is trending, but we'll see. So thanks so much, all three of you, and uh, looking forward to the next time we can chat. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Thanks. Thanks again to Aaron, Shannon, and Supriya. Earlier this week, I was joined again by Philippe J. Fournier of 338Canada.com to break down the latest from the Quebec election campaign. Here's a little sample of that episode. So who lost the week? Uh, Quebec voters, I believe, lost the week because I, uh, I, I see very, I mean, I see a lot of uh, reactions, especially online, with regards to the election. I do not see a lot of engagement. I, I, I'm not sure how much Quebec voters are impressed or... Uh, by their the political class right now, uh, and of course that's I'm not happy to say this. I mean I'm not being cynical. I just feel like Quebec voters lost this week, and I hope they don't lose many more weeks until the the, the vote is cast on uh, October third. I'll uh, say that I think it is Quebec's leader that lost the week, just because they have an opportunity to become the official opposition, to become the main competitor to the CAQ. And having to just kind of go back on one of their policies and defend it and yeah. it just put them on the back foot when they need to have a 
they need to have a really good campaign to finish second just because of the seat math and how it works for them. That's fair. Uh, like they have a decent shot of finishing second in the popular vote, you could say, but the seat game is going to be tough for them. So they can't afford a misstep. Is it the 0.1% for the second million, Eric? Is that it? But you're across the, the river. You, you, it doesn't apply to you. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you're explaining, you're losing. Explaining 0.1%. That is yeah. true. You're absolutely yeah. right about that. He's joining me throughout the campaign for the subscriber-only episodes. If you aren't already a paid subscriber to The Writ and you would like to listen in, you can head to theWrit.ca. Okay, that'll be it for this week. The next episode with Philippe will be out probably Sunday. We'll chat about the TVA debate that took place on Thursday night. And of course, I'll be back next Friday with a regular episode of the podcast. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.